Hello, and welcome to this episode of Ontobel Now. We're going to explore the ongoing energy revolution and its implications. I'm Andrew Crook, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome you to this timely discussion on an important megatrend that's clearly increasingly influencing the world around us. Faster development and implementation of solutions such as renewables, storage and grid infrastructure, for example, are top of mind, and there's a large amount of capital ready to be deployed. I'm pleased to introduce two speakers. Firstly, our guest, Andrew Hall, who's Managing Director of Saxo, a renewable energy consultancy firm. And from Vontabel Asset Management, Roman Hall, a portfolio manager in the thematic investment team. Andrew, starting with you, you've, you've got a lot of experience internationally in the renewable energy technologies and services sector. So from your perspective, what have been some of the key macro trends that have shaped or impacted the energy space in 2021? Essentially, there have been three large macro trends over the last 12 to 18 months. And I'll start with the most recent confirmation and support on the demand side, which is coming from the COP26 commitments of various countries to, to reach a net zero by various dates in the future. This has provided a significant political momentum behind increased renewable demand, but also put significant pressure on the supply chain and challenges on the supply chain of, of renewables. The second one is geopolitical tensions have increased quite significantly, as I'm sure everyone can appreciate, particularly between China and US. Now, China has traditionally been a, a go-to for the supply chain of renewables, and that has created one source of tension. And the second one is strategic minerals. China does dominate not only the, the sourcing of strategic raw materials, but also the primary and, and sometimes secondary processing of those minerals that go into the renewable energy industry. And the third one is the impact of COVID lockdowns around the world on economic activity and the rapid economic recovery and almost synchronized recovery of major markets around the world has created very significant supply side shortages on materials, on processed materials, as well as transportation. And this has led to significant input cost inflation in the industry. Roman, you're focused on energy transition in the context of investment opportunities and strategies. So how did the various industries in that space perform over 2021? Thanks, Andrew. Overall, I would say 2021 was quite a difficult year for energy transition companies in the financial market, but also because it's following a stellar years 2020, which stretched the valuation of those companies to some very high multiples, making those companies very sensible to any bad news that come into the market. Consequences, that was complicated for the solar industry, mostly because of the rise of the polysilicon. Polysilicon's price increased by 200% in 2021, and that's one of the main raw materials that are used in solar cell. Therefore, of course, it impacted the whole solar supply chain from the solar wafer manufacturer to the solar farm developers. I'd say it was also well difficult for the wind industry. As Andrew mentioned, some other commodities, raw materials like copper, rare earths, but especially steel, doubled 
in 2021. And as you can expect, steel is one of the most used materials in the wind turbine, mostly for the, for the tower. And that implies some pressure on the margins of those wind turbine manufacturers. On the other hand, same towers that performed pretty well during the, this year was the miners and all the miners of green commodities or energy transition raw materials. Andrew, I'd like to pick up on some of the macro themes that you highlighted, whether it be the demand, the geopolitics, the issues over raw materials, the post-COVID recovery. How do you see these dynamics evolving over the next 12 months throughout 2022? Yes, Andrew, that's an interesting question with a number of aspects to it. And normally the industry on the cost input or the input cost side, the industry would take about 12 to 18 months to adjust to major changes in the input costs. However, we've got more than just rising costs of raw materials and semi-finished goods to, to finished goods. We also have the logistics and the, um, let's say, bifurcation of the supply chains between China and the US and Europe. So we do expect the supply chains to adjust and normalize from a logistics, transportation and availability point of view during 2022. However, margin recovery in the supply chains for end users or critical component suppliers into the wind and solar and renewable in general will take probably up to another six months beyond the end of 22 to adjust and to reach a new normal. I mean, the demand side of the energy transition means that the raw material constraints, particularly for key strategic minerals or, let's say, inputs, such as copper, steel, and polysilicon, and rare earth materials in the case of wind power, they will continue to persist for a longer period beyond 2022. The whole electrification of the world's energy consumption is going to put enormous constraints on the supply of key electrical components such as copper and steel, which is used in construction. Copper is used in components in the generators for the electrical conductivity. And polysilicon, as everyone knows, is critical for solar panels. Thanks, Andrew. Roman, thinking further on some of the trends that Andrew's just discussed, and of course, any others that you factor into your investment outlook, what are the key energy sectors that you're focused on? Given Andrew's comments, I will definitely highlight once again the solar industry for the next 12 months. And I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic, especially regarding the polysilicon market, which we expect to relax in 2022 as new capacity is being ramped up, especially in China, because it's much easier to ramp up capacity in polysilicon than it will be in copper. Once, let's say, the polysilicon price will decrease, this price reduction should be reflected into the different components of the solar supply chain, meaning starting with the solar wafer, then the cell, and then the modules. Maybe for the audience, the solar modules is like a solar panel. Within this solar industry, I still think it's a bit early for a solar farm developer, as they will need to wait how the price of the different solar companies evolved and if it's being passed to the next segment of this supply chain, meaning are solar modules passing this price to 
the solar farm developer who are reducing their margins. Now, in my view, the best segment in the solar industry will be midstream segments like inverters, manufacturers, which have normally higher margins than other segments and that hopefully manage to diversify their supply chain in 2021 to avoid to repeat those mistakes. I don't know, maybe, Andrew, how would your market outlook change, if it does, uh, when thinking about the energy transition, but over the next decade? What would be maybe the biggest challenge you foresee over that time? It is, I think, very consistent with what's happened in the renewable industry over the past 10 or 20 years. You know, technology is, is one aspect that has consistently changed on the back of coordinated government policy support, such as in offshore wind, in solar in Germany is a good example. Technologies are currently being developed that aren't, aren't available, such as let's take an example of hydrogen and the, the use of hydrogen as both a form of energy storage as well as a power source for some applications. But long-term policy support is key in developing those technologies and to get them to a level where their cost is similar to grid parity. We've seen this happen in offshore wind. I'm sure that that is going to happen in other technologies such as floating offshore as well as in hydrogen. Investments, on the other hand, of both governments and the private sector is really, really crucial in trying to provide the capital that's required for both the investments into existing technologies as well as to develop and mature new technologies for net zero transition. The next level of change, I think, is access to raw materials and industrializing of the supply chains. I think you will start to see more focus, and certainly we're seeing this in the automobile electric vehicle industry, there's more focus on verticalizing supply chains all the way back through to critical key resources such as copper, nickel, etc. Supply chains, on the other hand, will also become more resilient to regional shocks and less dependent on particular countries like China. So you'll start to see supply chains moving into other Asian countries, into India, and even back into the developed economies such as North America and Canada and Europe. I think the, the last trend is, you know, or the three technologies that I would be focusing on is the technology developments and cost developments. So moving towards grid parity cost in battery storage, in offshore floating wind, and hydrogen as a form of storage. They are currently challenges, but there's so much government support, there's significant capital behind these developments that given time, these technologies will prove to be capable of reaching grid parity costs, such as offshore wind and onshore wind did in the last 10, 15 years. Remain with all of that in mind, how would you advise investors should assess energy-related opportunities over the coming years? I'd like uh, first to give a bit of comments on Andrew's main argument of the government policy support and look maybe what happens. For example, if we're looking at the photovoltaic solar price, so the cost of producing this electricity, over the past 12 years, it decreased by like 90%. And for offshore winds, that was 64% thanks to those very subsidies. 
Therefore, I would focus on, and here we are speaking about the outlook for the next 10 years, on industries that's going to receive those subsidies. For me, hydrogen is becoming a very interesting segment, especially because nowadays there are more and more governments that are unveiling their national hydrogen strategy and providing funds, for example, some European funds to finance some project linked to green hydrogen. Maybe a quick explanation of green hydrogen for maybe the audience that is not familiar with this term. So it's a way of producing electricity or heat for building an industry or fuel for transport out of renewable energy and water and contract with blue and gray hydrogen that are made out of fossil fuel. The big problem with green hydrogen today is its cost. It costs like $6 per kilogram of green hydrogen versus $1 to $1.5 per kilogram for the fossil fuel hydrogen, meaning we will need to see a drop of the price by 80%. And that won't happen, except if the government is giving some subsidy to this industry, as it did for the solar and the weed industry 10 years ago. Maybe, I don't top of my head, if the government will give some subsidy, let's say $3 per kilogram, then the company and then the private sector will enter the market and invest massively to decrease those costs and make it cost competitive without subsidy. How will we decrease the costs? By increasing the manufacturing volumes, by improved technology, decreasing electricity costs, and lower capital costs. But again, before this industry can become mature enough by itself, it will need the government subsidies. Another point maybe will be battery storage. That could be a solution or a, another segment where I put my focus for the next 10 years, especially if that's an integrated player that is, as Andrew mentioned, have some resources from the raw material until the production of the battery. Andrew, what's your view? Do you think we could solve those intermittencies issue with those new technology, namely batteries and hydrogen? Or do you think we will need some other controversial technology, for example, like nuclear? Yes, Romain, nuclear remains a very contentious issue. And when we think of nuclear, it's typically large-scale nuclear, which is extremely costly and to construct and takes a very long time to construct nuclear power plants, which are consistent with the environmental and health and safety standards that most countries have put in place. So that is quite controversial. I'll come back to nuclear because I think uh, there is a place for nuclear in the grid where there's political will to have nuclear in the, in the grid mix. However, intermittency is an issue as you start increasing the renewable generation capacity within a particular grid. And we've seen that happen in the UK and in Germany, particularly with the um, expansion of solar in the grid. There were significant grid stability issues. Traditionally, up until now, grid operators have used gas turbines or gas turbine generation capacity, which are large and capital intensive to provide some stability in the network. So very short-term major capacity that they can switch on and off. Nuclear, coal, steam, and to a certain extent, large hydro traditionally have been used as baseload 
capacity. And in order to provide the stability, you have gas turbines, which can be switched on and off relatively quickly. But as renewables become more and more pervasive in the network, the distributed nature of renewables will actually reduce the intermittency issues on the grid. Thanks, Andrew. Unfortunately, it's already time to wrap up this conversation. Thank you both for some really timely and insightful comments. They've certainly shed light on where we're at in the current energy revolution and what investors can and should do now. For everyone listening, I hope you also found this interesting and educational. And for more insights on this topic, plus other mega trends, please follow us on LinkedIn. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts on new topics soon. This recording is for information purposes only, and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments, to affect any transactions, or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, Vontabel will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information or Vontabel's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract, or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information, or any part of it, or for any problems with this information, which could not be lawfully excluded, is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you, or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance, and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance. Today's guest speaker is not an employee or representative of Von Tobel. The views expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Von Tobel.